We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Lakers fall in game one of the Western Conference Finals, but find some answers along the way. 132 to 126, a shootout. You're listening to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And D, that game was lost by the Lakers largely in the first half, and they went down as much as 21 in the second half and made a big old comeback. LeBron had a three that could have potentially tied it. Um, and, but Lakers come up just short. One of the topics going into the series was the starting lineup, right? And carrying over the Dennis starting group. And that for me, man, went for one of those things where like going in is like, yeah, I think this is the lineup that we should go with. Two minutes in, I'm like, oh yeah, they're way too small for that group. Like seeing them across from Denver. I also thought accurately so to a man everybody in post game was like we didn't play very hard at all in a lot of those yeah. and we were we gave up a lot of like dumb transition points which is not out of character for this team but when you're small and you the other team is playing harder than you that can get ugly very quickly which we've talked about a few times but over the course of the second half, the, some adjustments with Rui Hachimura's getting some good minutes on Jokic. Lakers found some things that I think are encouraging along the way, but Lakers fall in game one, man. Start us out wherever you'd like. Yeah, so in the two preview pods that we did, I said that I was not as convinced yet that like the small lineup was the way to go. Mm -hmm. I like you guys were getting me closer based off of the arguments, and I think that Dennis certainly proved that he was game for this sort of um, Denver group. I thought Dennis's ball pressure and his ability to get over screens. The Lakers also adjusted their defensive coverage in, in terms of that as well. They were going under on he a lot of screens. He was very annoyed by that too. Dennis on a few of Murray's threes was like, sure you kept, still want to well, keep doing that? Like, yeah, yeah, he was looking at the bench a fair amount like mm -hmm. this isn't the way. Also, too, Dennis is sort of small to be a guy to go under. Like you can go under with Vando because Vando's got so much more size and so much more length that if once he gets back from under like his you're going to feel his contest a little bit more. I was not as convinced that going small was the answer, but I think that there are places for that small lineup to play. I'm just not sure it's against the starting group where Austin was defending Michael Porter Jr. and not bothering him at all. 
And Mm -hmm. everywhere on the perimeter, the Lakers were at a size disadvantage. Like Murray's bigger than Dennis. Like KCP and D'Lo are about the same size, but but D'Lo doesn't play as big as his size defensively. He Mm -hmm. definitely plays his size offensively, but not defensively. And and one of the things that you mentioned um, in the preview, Pete, and I'll kick it to you here, Mike, is that if the Lakers were going to play smaller, they really needed LeBron and AD to be like the high motor players. And they showed where their high motor can impact the game offensively. But I think they also showed that they need some motor next to them defensively with some size. And LeBron and AD did not have that motor in the first half defensively, I thought. And in transition, I thought both Jokic and Gordon did a very good job of like just racing the floor to get advantage. And and AD's going to the offensive glass. Mike LeBron is also a guy that he's he's going to pick and choose his spots in terms of transition defense. And you were in the post game presser and the comment that LeBron made about like, it took us a half to sort of get into the game and Denver really punched us in the mouth. I thought that was the perfect explanation for what happened and especially defensively. And and so from your vantage point, and now this is the third game one that, that the Lakers have played. Did you notice a difference um, not only in the Lakers' perspective, but Denver's perspective in terms of what they were like in game one versus what we saw against Memphis and what we saw against the Warriors? Yeah, I think the place you start for this one is you give Denver credit. Uh, they they yeah. came out with game seven intensity and Jokic especially. Jokic was doing all of the big things and all of the little things. He was sprinting his ass up and down the court every possession. He was uh, he was leading the break. He was just attacking the offensive glass. Uh, he was hitting all of the shots like he was. He that was a true uh, MVP performance, and it was a a much different Jokic than LeBron and AD have seen um, in the regular season and in the last postseason, which I know was three years ago. But still, so that was the that was the first thing. I think both of them were sort of like, oh. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, I'll contextualize it like this. I can't remember a better individual game that I've been to in, in a playoff game that I've been to in person from a Lakers opponent. I'm um, going back to 2008. Mm-hmm. I was thinking of some of the Dirk performances and that sweep in, but like his best game was 32 and seven or something like that. Uh, it, it, he just was, he just was everywhere. But and this is where I think the Lakers start to take some uh, some solace as they as they look forward like that. The way that Memphis came out in game one of their series, like young guys, I don't think they quite realized how good the Lakers were not that serious. They sort of just played their normal game and the Lakers blitzed them um, the way. And, and by the way, that that took some some shot making right from Rui and yep. Austin as well. It wasn't just like a, an overpowering effort. Game one against Golden State, you know, they were tired off of game seven. The Lakers knew that was a a great game to press. This felt more like the traditional feel out game um, as the Lakers. It it just was going to be something to adjust to. And, you know, Darius, I I think that you're you should have stuck to your guns a little more about the lineup thing and not let Mm -hmm. um, not let Pete and I actually you You, didn't let you you sort of you you in the text. You're like, nah, I'm not so sure. So (laughs) you look good in this case. But to counter that at that point. What didn't matter who the Lakers was started. 
in the first quarter with the energy they played yeah. with. And I think sure. that that small lineup, if you get a more, a better D'Angelo Russell performance, um, not necessarily with shot making, but just sort of like meeting the level of energy and all that, then I think that that ends up being closer. And the second quarter, they actually already started to adjust some. Mm-hmm. They just got hit with some ridiculous Deborah shot making, like at the end of the quarter. Um, and that continued into the third quarter. So to, to kind of kick this back to you, uh, to either of you, I tweeted about Jokic first through third quarters, 31 points, 12 of 15 from the field, 19 boards, 12 assists, three turnovers in the first through third. In the fourth, 10 minutes, three points, 0 for 2 from the field, two boards, two assists, two turnovers. Mm -hmm. Now, I think it's too easy to just say, oh, it's because they switched Rui on him and they got AD off him and he helped some. I think part of that is because the Nuggets were protecting a lead. Um, He was tiring some because of the, again, insane effort that he gave um, in the first two third quarters. But Nonetheless, it's still interesting as you think about this series in a larger picture. And now, you know, yes, it it probably cost the Lakers a game um, to learn these lessons, but they do have um, some very obvious adjustments to make here. Um, And, you know, Denver, to me, still sort of just does what they do. They got nothing off the bench. Um, All of their guards and wings that had to make shots made shots. Right. And the Lakers were still in the game. So it's it's a it's a mixed bag in this one. For sure. And all of that said, though, like LeBron said, you know, to a question about that, you know, how much does that help psychologically to come back rather than just get blown out by 20 the whole game? He's like, a loss is a loss, whether it's one point or whether it's 20. And so part of the downside of that uh, adjustment, making it in in game one, is that you don't have that element of surprise in game two. You don't have that said, though, I think we needed to see some things that worked because those first three quarters, Mike, it was like, they got so many easy shots and production and numbers aside on Jokic. Like that was the first time anything looked hard for them. And so just yeah. that right there is a victory. It is a victory series wise. Just real quick on that, because I usually, I usually really do think that that adjustment thing can make a difference. And the Lakers held back some punches that then they launched on golden state right. as the series went on. But to me, it was more important in this one, not necessarily to, um, you know, to like, make the counter that th- the Lakers thought they had a chance to actually win the game, but just to, just to let Denver know mm. it's not going to be that easy, mm-hmm. you know, because I think that Denver had, had the game continue to play out as it had, they're riding into game two with a lot of confidence, you know, with a, with a, Hey, same thing. Crowd fired up. Now I think there's some trepidation when they look at the game film and sure on the one hand, Darius, that could mean that they, that, you know, that could help their mentality some, but I just felt like being in the building, the Lakers had to take a, a, a chunk out of that. You know, they had to, they had to chip away at that, at the statue that looked like was so firm um, in terms of an advantage. And I think that they did that. I mean, we're playing the three best home teams in the NBA in these first yeah. three rounds of the playoffs. It's remarkable. I read that in uh, Three Things to Know. <laughs> that's, that's right. And so in terms of that feel-out game idea that Mike was talking about earlier, I think that's absolutely the case. And it's it's so interesting to go from Steph to Jokic because they're probably the most like, there is no other player in the league like that on offense. Like there are other guys that are similar, but nobody that does that. entirely. There's a Jokic and there's a Steph and that's a unique challenge that you have to tackle. And so like AD being not just pulled out, but being attacked, how many guys will go one-on-one at AD when they've got the ball in their hands and be like, oh yeah, I can score on this and be right, you know? And so that just changes so much about what we do. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on the big man matchup because, oh, by the way, AD had 40 and 10 on the other end. It's super tricky 
Mike, I think you were the one that said this in in uh, our text, but it might have been Pete that AD's defense is sort of wasted on Jokic, mm-hmm. and I think that that's an excellent yeah. way of of framing it. AD did have some very good defensive possessions against Jokic. He stoned him a couple of times in the paint. He got that that um, that block where he just sort of met Jokic right there. Um, he banged with him and he forced a couple of misses, but. Darwin said post game that Jokic makes like 70% of like those little flip shots that that he hits and whether that's an exaggeration or not it sure feels like 70% like they all seem to go in and AD is such a destructive help defender and this is one of the arguments for like that Giannis has used as defensive when Giannis won defensive player of the year it was mostly as a help defender and and it's because he had a Brooke Lopez to sort of say like, hey, you're going to be that primary rim guy and post defender. And I'm just going to be the guy who's flying around weak side and just taking things away. And AD, so AD's got an interesting job here, Pete. He can't go the entire game without defending Jokic. That's just not a viable strategy, I don't think. Um, but this takes us back to 2020 a little bit where Dwight Howard was such a pivotal figure defensively against Jokic while AD then was such a pivotal figure offensively in that series against the Nuggets. And this feels like a series where if the Lakers can find a defensive answer to make Jokic's life harder while slotting AD into a natural help position, AD's offense is going to come. Denver's defensive approach of switching um, ball screens and leaving the pocket pass open and not having a rim protector, these are the ingredients for AD to get 20 shot attempts a night and basically hit more than half of them. Like when Jokic was talking post game, he was talking about how talented a player AD is. And it's just like basically look at all the shots that he hits. Look how skilled he is with the ball. AD can attack off of the move in ways that not a lot of other big players can. And he's going to be able to do that all all game against Denver like the TNT guys last series were saying like oh well AD should average 35 against this small Warriors team but like the guy primarily defending him is Draymond Green that dude is a three-time defensive player of the year award winner like he's gonna give AD problems there's no one on this Denver roster that's really going to give AD a ton of problems offensively so I really look at this as a slotting question Mike and it's more like AD needs to be like a number one option type offensive but then he needs to be slotted into more of a help role defensively, I think, in order to really have him reach his his peak maximum potential in in this series as a two way player. Yeah. So it's a great point. I want to redirect this kind of in a in question form to Pete um, after a quick comment. So AD in the bubble series averaged thirty one point two points uh, against Denver and only six point two rebounds. Now, we talked about the importance of Dwight. Uh, part of that, but in AD also, by the way, only 0.6 blocks in that series. So it was a different, di- different team. I only bring it up in the context of like, they didn't have anybody that could really match up defensively, uh, defensively with him there either, especially because Aaron Gordon, who would be the best matchup for him has to be on LeBron. He just has to, there just isn't anybody else for them. Like, especially that version of LeBron, like I could see 
to me, Denver should have Gordon on him more. And then that opens up the whole thing we talked about in the, in the series about like, well, then what do you do with LeBron, especially this version of him? But Pete, like I got a chance to speak to AD a little bit after the game, like as we were walking to the press conference room and it just seems, it seems so clear now that the the answer is to have him off of Jokic Mm -hmm. at least more than on. And while acknowledging what Darius said, he's going to have to match up with him some, but and, it, and also, I feel like that can that will in in other ways help his offense, you know, because then he's not getting pounded um, every other possession. And it just it, that's the thing to me that Denver has a big problem with. But is it that clear to you? And like, what would your strategy be um, with after seeing game one? Now? No, I think it is clear. Absolutely. And I think that for a number of reasons, like. The fundamental difference between how AD got his points in this game and and shot opportunities created versus Jokic is Jokic has to create a lot through the force of his individual talents, where AD was getting shots on the basis of the defense that Denver kind of has to play, right? Those pocket passes, they can't switch a ton with Jokic, right? Didn't, and Didn't the shots seem easy? Th- that's what right. I'm saying. They were easy. Those yeah, are going to be there yeah, yeah. because one of the things we talk about, the Lakers were facing Draymond last series and AD was specifically, yes, that's true in one-on-one situations, but they switch a ton. And now Denver does it cleverly, even with Jokic, they have a lot of good switching in which uh, – Aaron Gordon is a big piece of being able to switch inside out, right? But that said, those pocket, those opportunities are going to be there for AD ultimately in ways that they're get, they got it, especially in the first half in the first three quarters with Jokic through force of his individual talent. But one of the great truisms of the of the NBA, Darius, is great offense beats great defense. And you can't really single cover the dead bank superstars of the NBA on offense. And so Jokic, as a result of that, requires additional resources, even with the great Anthony Davis. And so I think it's sort of this formula where like Rui on the ball has at least enough like we'll see. I think there are some things that Denver can do to kind of make it harder, yes. right? This isn't yes. this isn't something that oh well, that's done. The Jokic problem yeah. is like, <laughs> yeah, like, solved, figured that right? out. Yeah, and that's part of my like discomfort of like I almost wish we held that off, but I we needed to to, to do this tonight. Right? Let's take a break. Come back and continue talking about this. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring. The best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So I, 
I think it's a formula D where it's like Rui is strong enough to hold his ground on the perimeter. You remember the game we played against Minnesota at Minnesota? It was a big game. And we went on that massive like 26 to 2 run. And it was Rui guarding Carl Anthony Towns, right? And a sort of similar player to Jokic in that he's a perimeter threat, but also very powerful. And if you're too small, you're just going to back your ass down and go all the way to the rack. He did similar things to Julius Randle. Yep. Right. Now, Jokic is not like Jokic is better than all of those players, right? And we could keep rattling off a bunch of guys, but I wrote this in my recap that's up at Lakers.com right now. But Rui has a combination of strength, length, and foot speed, mm-hmm. lateral quickness, right? And Denver is so smart at how they use Jokic because while while Jokic is a player who literally can just back you down, very similar to what like LeBron was doing against smaller defenders, mm-hmm. what Denver likes to do is get Jokic on the move by screening for him. And they screen for him all over the floor. They set pin down screens when, when he's on the wing. They set these ram screens when he's right underneath the basket. And they're just trying to open him up and get him on the move so that when he catches the ball, his defender is off balance a little bit. And then Jokic's strength is even more destructive because once you're on the move and then he bumps you, it's just like you have no chance against him. And- through the course of NBA history, the big burly guys like that generally don't like catching the ball on the move. They want to be able to, you know, to hit, to bang on you, which he still can do. But that level of coordination, I just want to point out at his size, it's just he's mind blowingly just an un- unbelievable player. Yeah. So I I got to find this out again, um, but I texted you guys right before the game and this was in our whole discussion of like. All right, well, how much does AD really stay on Jokic? And in the regular season, just this season, Jokic was something like, oh man, I wish I could find it out, but like 13 for 15 or something or or 17 for 19 mm-hmm. with uh, in two-point range with AD defending him. And that that is just a mind-boggling uh, type of number. 15 like, for 18, Mike. Okay, right? 15, 15 for 18 on two-pointers. And he And he's... Uh, one for seven on threes. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. And Jokic, he only drew three shooting fouls when Davis was defending. But yeah, so basically, like even the great Anthony Davis, he's giving up, I don't know, 30, 40 pounds or something like that um, on Jokic. And he's he's just like the touch that he has, even though AD block, he packed him a couple times, but like the touch that he has and the intelligence. So that's what I meant about like like that that knowledge before the game, but I was still into this idea of Dennis because of how I didn't think that they'd be able to guard the Lakers. But that's where the compromise, the discussion we had about Vanderbilt, that's where Rui comes in. And then Rui coming in and just lighting them on fire, you know, sort of makes that seem super obvious. Uh, and it Pete, it gets back to, the, to one of the points that you made right when the Lakers got Rui, which is if you're devoting your top two athletes yeah. or, or even if not your best athletes, just your biggest guys to LeBron and AD, then who's who's who you got for Rui Hachimura, who is big? You know, I I, I texted you guys before the game because I saw uh, Gordon and Rui walk by each other, and they're two of the guys that are bigger in person, even than they might seem on TV. 
and LeBron's that way, but everybody knows LeBron is like, they're, they're big boys, but they don't have like Porter doesn't have the size. Jeff Green doesn't have the size. They don't even play anybody else that's over six, seven. So that to me now becomes kind of the swing factor and Rui, it's not, he doesn't have to play great every game. It just, it just makes Denver, um, to me, like it, it just immediately kind of evens out some of the, the deficiencies that the Lakers had early. Well, it's just an interesting point because Rui can leverage his physical tools to defend up against players. Jokic is a whole nother level up from like Towns and and Julius Randle, right? Like Randall, though, is like country strong. And so Randall's a Randall's a certain type of dude where it's just like I, I feel like he's he's like Colossus from the X-Men or something like like he'll dent your chest. But Jokic. So, Pete, like I'm I was thrilled to see Rui like stand in there and 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 hold his own. I thought the points that Mike May made earlier about there being like a multitude of factors that contributed to Jokic not being himself down the stretch was an important point to make because I don't know how fresh Jokic versus fresh Rui, what that's going to look like, but you have to figure that it's going to favor the two-time league MVP. So I'm super interested in seeing how that plays out over a longer stretch and if that even is the solution that the Lakers go to within starting lineup, right? Which leads me to a couple of other like questions. And I know that we will talk more about game two the day of, right? When we really dive, dive into the preview stuff, but this was a game where as much as we talk about like the things that worked in the second half to get the Lakers back into it, there's still open questions that I have about like who can play in this series, who could not, who's going to look good, who's ready, basically. Mm-hmm. Like for this kind of series. I, all yeah, three for, series for have for been the, so well, different. Isn't that interesting how like they've all been unique from from each other? Well, that's just playoff basketball, right? And you're not always like it's the best players. It's always the best players who are the universal players. Role players, you may it may not be your series. I thought Rui spoke spoke to this well. He was just like, look, last series they were so small, they were so so quick. This series, they're just a bigger team. And I think our bigger lineups can have some some success against them. And he's not wrong. I'm just interested to see which way it goes. We were, uh, the three of us were discussing that, like this might be more of a Rui series. And I, I found myself in an elevator uh, with him yesterday. And I said something along those lines to him, like, this is going to be a series for you. And, and he was just kind of, he kind of like was knowingly nodding. Um, it, and then I asked him the question post game, which was something along those lines. Um, essentially, I didn't want to, you know, you never want to frame things in a certain way as, as like a leading question. So I think I said something more like, what was it about that group, you know, when you finished the second quarter? Because it wasn't just a second half adjustment. Like they put Rui out mm-hmm. there um, in the second quarter and it was pretty apparent right away. And he, yeah, he just, he just sort of stated kind of, well, yeah, like that's what, that's what this series dictates that this is the kind of Golden State played particularly small. You know, they started Andrew Wiggins at the four. Uh, and then they came off the bench with more guards. Like, like it's just a, it's a very, that's not normal. Um, how small Golden State plays most series, I think, uh, like Memphis was like Denver's are going to be, are going to tilt more towards Rui. 
Uh, and mm-hmm. the only reason that he didn't have as big of a role to play in the last game is because the Lakers' two best players are uh, at that spot. So, like, he's Rui to me is a is a it's it's a very rare to me on, on, on any NBA roster, right? That he's that he's not going to be like a rotation big off the bench. Um, and get key minutes. I think he's. I think he's played up to that level. At this he's point. a good player that contributes in a number of different areas. In this, like, oh, he can be the first line of defense on Jokic, right? Like we were talking about his element of it earlier. But if he's left in isolation, Jokic is going to put him in the basket, right? That it requires that long arm yes. of Anthony Davis behind him. It's both of those things working together. Did you hear what Darvin said after the game, Pete, about um, Rui? In was it Darvin or AD? I think it was Darvin. Where essentially. Like the the plan for him is hey make him go east and yeah, west turn him essentially by by keeping by getting into his knees like getting into his body basically the way that Draymond defends yep. bigs right and that's and and just force him into that and if it's just the this the the idea in Jokic's head that AD is lurking is part of what makes that different whereas if if it's AD on Jokic he's one spin move away from an automatic dunk because the help side is not going to be big enough. Uh, in in that setting, so it's just it's it's a whole different. I, way. I believe his name means base in Japanese, right? And so that idea of him being the ground forces and Anthony Davis being the air force and that long arm that can help over the top speaks to the just incredible game of Nikola Jokic and how many things that you have to take away in order to be effective against him. But those two things combined, I think, are going to be super important. And then one element of it, LeBron spoke to this D. We didn't have our best transition offense game either. Our defense was bad for sure. But we there are more opportunities there where if Jokic or if Rui is on Jokic, one of the things that happens that there is the transition to that. Rui is going to run the floor every single time, right? Like we talk about, oh, AD yes. has a foot speed advantage over Jokic. Jokic gets up and up and down the floor better than AD does. And but Rui is going to make him change ends in ways where even if he doesn't get the ball, if there's no shot opportunity on that particular play, I think there's going to be a pr- progressive fatigue factor that we, we are capable of leveraging that through Rui's just going to run every single time. It, it, that that wears on a guy if you really put that if you put that pressure on him. That's the hope. Look the Lakers went two and two against the Nuggets this season. The games that they won, um, remember one of the games the Lakers won was the game where AD got hurt. Mm-hmm. And the Lakers looked like they were dead in the water a little bit, double digit, double digit deficit. And Thomas Bryant just started doing Thomas Bryant stuff, man. He started running hard. He started playing in transition. He started finishing at the basket. And it was sort of just like, oh, look at TB making an impact. And Rui, Rui can do a lot of that mm-hmm. same stuff. He's not as like thick as Thomas Bryant. He's not a natural center, but he can do a lot of that same same stuff. I wanted to pivot the conversation though away because we've talked a lot about the bigs already in this series from game one. What y'all think about the guards? So the Lakers played three of them to start the game. Um and then they brought in Lonnie again. So they basically played the same rotation that they played in in those last several games against the Warriors. And I thought it was a real mixed bag from the Lakers guards this game. Um, I think on one end of the spectrum, you had Austin Reeves. Um, somewhere in the middle, there was Dennis Schroeder. And then 
I thought this was a game where Lonnie had a couple of good moments, but he also had a couple of rough moments. And then I thought this was one of D'Lo's mm-hmm. lesser games for the entire postseason. And I think the Lakers are going to need more from their guards. Um, Mike, earlier you had mentioned that the that the Nuggets didn't get a lot off of their bench, but one player was really good off yeah. of their bench. And that Bruce was, Brown. Yeah, he was awesome. Yeah. Bruce Brown was great. And he was a guard in this game. And he kicked the Lakers guards butts whenever he went up, uh, whenever he went it, up, up against them. It was only in the first half though. So second half, Bruce Brown, one for two, two points, uh, two assists, minus nine, uh, no rebounds. But the first half he was ridiculous. Yeah. They went with, um, they went with Porter jr a lot more because the Lakers were playing bigger and I thought that they couldn't really get a, I, my sense was they felt like they couldn't, they couldn't play that many small, small dudes and KCP Mm -hmm. was playing really well. And so it was sort of just like they, they chose Murray and KCP and then kept the size in because the Lakers were playing LeBron, Rui and AD. And at that point, if you bring in Brown, Brown's going to have to guard. Who's he going to guard? Rui? And Rui kicked his butt in that mm-hmm. second quarter that you mentioned, Mike. He went into the post a couple times. Austin hit him with a great entry pass, and and Rui got got a finish. He shot over the top of him for a short jumper, I think once once or twice. That's a matchup that would favor the Lakers, and and, and so. But I want to get back to this question about the guards because I just want to hear your thoughts about that. Yeah. So starting with Russell, uh, he he was. Bad. You know, I, I think he would say that like he just was not he was not at the level um, that he needs to be to start. And I think that, you know, Russell, this is part of it's like this is part of what D'Angelo is. And in some ways it can be it can be a real strength when he's he's even keeled, you know, and you're he's going to kind of play his game no matter what. He's got all this skill like he can get shots off himself. He can make pretty plays. But like when the level of intensity that Denver came out with was so much greater then, you know, later in the series, what the Warriors had um, based on like how the Lakers were playing and, and even like what, you know, what Memphis, I already talked about that, right? What Memphis started the series with. I just think that like that, that their ability to raise their energy level, that's a thing that I think sometimes D'Angelo can struggle with initially. But I do think that he'll be better than that. I, I do think that he's got, especially if the Lakers go to that bigger group. Um, and let's say it's Rui in for Dennis then, you know, and then it's going to be some more spot up opportunities. And, and uh, like as as Denver has to shift their size uh, in a certain way to account for that, then I think that that can help him, too, because like at times they could have Porter Jr., who is then is going to then have to be occupied higher up potentially um, on Rui. So I think I think the D'Lo struggled, but will be better. And his they'll watch the film and he'll look at the transition defense and the defense like that. That's how going to really stand out. And I think that he'll have some pride in, in getting back for that. You know, Austin was four for five from three in the second half. Um, and and was four for four from the free throw line to assist no turnovers like he was a plus 18 uh, in the second half he was he was terrific there first half I, I thought it was a little bit of the same like his, his shot wasn't falling early the the Denver was targeting him some like it was just the, the blitzkrieg right I thought he got caught up in that a little bit and then he found his level of energy to match it and then Pete here let me let me kick it to you for a shooter and walker or anything else you wanted to add um, on on those two well, just with D'Lo, he was bad enough in this game to where like I'm sort of concerned about him overall in the series. Now, almost 
all of his minutes were with the starting groups that were very much not good enough, but he was part of that. And the the bench groups where he was part of some bad groups that involved Bruce Brown is it's very obvious that the scouting report is if you get D'Lo or Austin in space, you drive it right at their chest. Like there's a directive to go right at them and kind of go through them. And a lot of times when you attack D'Lo in that type of way, he's going to give in very easily, right? And so that ability to, can you turn the steam up, the intensity up in your game? Denver weirdly came out in the third quarter and had Aaron Gordon bring the ball up and D'Lo ball pressured him into a turnover, which like, yeah, that you absolutely should do that to an Aaron Gordon. That's, but that's the type of play that D'Lo very rarely makes where he is the one applying pressure. And so and he made that to me is, yeah. And he made some shot shots in that stretch too. It was within that, a, a bad lineup, right? Where we couldn't get a stop defensively. And so I would be like to see him in more functional defensive lineups, but I have a question about that is, can he turn his intensity level up to the level of speed, especially defensively? you got to chase around KCP even. KCP kicked our butts in part because he's back cutting and maybe those aren't there with AD, but even relocations for threes. KCP plays with a level of steam that's really the the opposite in a lot of, of ways of D'Lo. Darius, can I, redirect, can I redirect D'Lo to you for a second? Yeah, please. Um, so he had some rough spots in the first two series also. And I think like part of the, the first half was like a perfect storm to me for being difficult specifically for D'Lo. And that like, A, not only were the Lakers not getting stops, but they weren't getting defensive rebounds when they didn't get stops. And then that, so he didn't get anything in rhythm the other, the other direction. It was almost like when they gave him the ball, it was sort of, hey, go, go create something. And like he, he play, he's much better when the Lakers are running and he can kind of pick a spot or he can just be a little bit more engaged that way. And since that wasn't happening on offense, I felt like that contributed to his defense some too. And he just, he can get in a spot where he doesn't feel like he's impacting the game and then it can snowball. And I just don't think that is going to happen again in that same way, not absolving him from that. But I, I think it's, I think it's premature to, to sort of throw him to the side, say, Oh, just, you know, this is how it's going to be for him this series. Like, I, I think he's got something to uh, account for that. We can't throw him to the side. He's too important to what we do. That's right. I think that that's a fair point, Mike. My questions about D'Lo are twofold. Is Denver, the matchups dictate that he's he's going to have to defend a high motor player, basically. And that was, it was, he was matched up almost entirely against Bruce Brown or KCP almost every minute that he was on the court. And those are going to be tricky matchups for him defensively. And what I'm interested in seeing from, from him is a level of competitiveness defensively where, so before we started to record the pod, I was chatting with, well, with Pete a little bit. And one of the things that I was mentioning is that, D'Lo, D'Lo is a good team defensive player within the context of like, he knows where his rotations are. He knows where he's supposed to be in help situations. And he's going to try in earnest to get to those spots on the court every single time. And functionally, that can be super useful against a bunch of conventional style of offenses. The Warriors did not test him as much because they would play non-shooters enough 
that and the plan was enough like DiVincenzo we're gonna let you shoot Wiggins we're gonna let you shoot all of these guys we're gonna let all of you shoot because our whole entire philosophy is selling out to stop Steph and then secondary actions with Clay and our ultimate priority is keeping AD closer to 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 the basket those are our goals defensively those goals shift against the Nuggets and D'Lo is going to have to figure out a way to be a good team defender where his individual ask is much as at a much higher floor. Basically, they run so many cuts. They run so many actions where his head is going to have to be on a swivel and the guys who he has to defend are going to be coming off of curls and he's going to have to lock and trail and then he's going to have to spit out of a lock and trail and then close back out to the perimeter. He's going to have to break down and he's going to have to slide. And it's just a lot. It's just a lot for him. I'm not saying he can't do it. I'm saying it's just a heavier ask than what he's seen in in the playoffs to to this point. And he's going to need to find a way to separate his offensive effectiveness from his defensive utility. Right. And so. He's going to have to make the shots that he gets. And they're not always going to be in the beautiful flow of a transition game. Now, to be fair to what you said, Mike, you put him in better functional defensive lineups. You surround him with more size. If the Lakers rebound better, they're going to get out and play with more flow in general. And Denver seemed perfectly content in that second half to say, we're going to try to outscore you. And if I had a concern from Denver's perspective, it's that. Mike Malone was hammering his team after the game about like the defense was not good enough. The defense was not good enough. And guess what? It wasn't. And we're going to see if Denver finds more defensive life. But if they don't, that's where D'Lo can sort of find, find his way. But I, I have similar concerns to Pete in, in that the other team is going to look for entry points for their offense. And D'Lo is one of those points, especially for a team that where they are at their best when everyone is getting it going the way that they look in the first quarter and then in the first half of the second quarter, I thought. Well, you know, look, let's say that D'Lo doesn't bring the requisite level that he needs to, then you bring Dennison soon. Yeah. You know, so like the Lakers do have that. And I think that that that's something that becomes clear. And I think both teams are going to be better defensively. And both teams are going to are not going to be as good offensively. Like game two is going to be much more of a slugfest. And how do the Lakers get that to favor them um, is is to me a key because there's just no way Denver's going to have everybody get hot like that. And the Lakers aren't going to have like if you just if you just look at LeBron, um, Hachimura and, and Rui, like LeBron was nine for 16, um, got into the paint a ton. Uh, was efficient. AD was 14 for 23. He, he, I think he missed one shot in the second half um, after he started two for eight and maybe he missed a, and I think he added a second miss later. Uh, and then Rui was eight for 11, you know, even with like Dennis only took three shots. He made two of them. Like the Lakers shot 55% um, as a team. Right. So that, and a lot of that was Denver part what Darius, I think just alluded to a little bit of prevent defense maybe in that second half and just trying to stretch things out and just scoring enough to, to keep them at bay. But yeah, Pete, that would be my my question to you then. 
if the game does go like that and it's a little bit more defensive, it's, it's not going to be one, you know, 120, 132 to 126. Uh, what are the what are some of the key factors for the Lakers there? I think we should discuss that tomorrow on the preview for game two. So we're going to wrap it up here. And uh, yeah, Lakers drop game one, but I would love tomorrow to talk offense in uh, in answering your question a little bit uh, of the slugfest. I think the Lakers have a higher offensive floor um, than Denver does in the right circumstances, right? And so I think a lot of the offense is sustainable. So we'll leave it there, tease it for then. We just did a high-level radio tease, except usually that's a segment-to-segment tease. You only have to wait like four minutes, and Pete's like, nah. There was nothing high-level about one. that at like, all, Mike. It's it's almost 11 p.m. <laughs> yeah, there was. was, was solid. <laughs> all right, we'll be back tomorrow to preview game two. Uh, the dogs want a bone. You can hear them clicking and clacking in the background. They know that we're wrapping up. Uh, but until then, you've been listening to the Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. Baines has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. With his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's, There's the move. Two, score. one, Unbelievable. the It's over. And shot clock out of five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. Add insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.